Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hi, Don. I'm Sam. Sam, I thought that was you sitting yeah, over there. Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to see sometimes. <laughs> the sun's in your eyes, right? No, the, the Boiled Owl Coffee House is very dark. It's in a cave. Except the, there's a little hole that the light comes in. Let the light in. Don. Isn't there a uh, Leonard Cohen song along those lines? <laughs> you would know. Yes. You would know. I'm sure we'll hear a clip of it right about now. Ring the bells. The bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There's a crack <laughs> where all the light comes in. That's, Ooh, you that's got our, even nice and deep. Like that's our our fault. <laughs> all right. Well, it's been a good week. It has it's been a good week. week. Yeah, and a good time at the coffee house yesterday. Yeah, so the the Boiled Owl Coffee Club started from us wanting to kind of reproduce what we do every Saturday after the morning men's meeting. We go to the Green Bean and have some coffee and sit around and talk recovery with other people that come from the meeting. It's really cool. It is really cool, and the, and the fact that sometimes it branches out and we get some new folks in there, too, and... You know, in the group, I mean, I would say, for the most part, you and I are rather consistent about being there, yeah. except when I don't show up, and uh, <laughs> or, or I'm out, of or town. you're out of town. But uh, but we've got this yeah, core of people who tend to show up, and then every now and then there's somebody new, and yeah. uh, it's kind of cool. So it's like recovery, but it's not a meeting. Exactly, we can totally cross talk. <laughs> we can cross talk, and we can eat. Now, at that coffee shop, they had really good food. That blueberry, that blueberry muffin, muffin. <laughs> that blueberry muffin is awesome. But I don't have anything to serve here. But I'm going to start. I think next week we're going to have boiled owl eggs. We're going to have deviled oil. Deviled oiled owl eggs. eggs. Okay. Deviled owl eggs. Deviled owl eggs. All right. That will be our treat. Fantastic. Can I request jelly beans instead? You can have a jelly bean on top of your <laughs> deviled owl egg. You know, you can probably get them half price now. So. <laughs> That's true. It's after Easter. We can catch it. Well, we've got a guest. We do have a guest. We usually do. I'm the guest. Hi, guest. Who are you? My name's Wilson. Hey, Hi. Wilson. Glad you're here. I guessed that you were Wilson. You're wearing a name tag. He does have oh, a name I tag. He tends to walk around like that, you know? And sometimes I forget. And I need to look down and remember how to spell it. Um, and then it probably ought to be oriented the other way so you can read it when you rip it out. No, if it was turned upside down, people would just think I was weird. <laughs> so you're one of the well, you're one of these people who peels the bandage off real slowly instead of like ripping it fast and getting it over with. Yeah, usually I mean I know it I know it hurts less if you do it fast, but mentally it doesn't it's not intuitive. It doesn't really make sense to me. So I'd rather do it slowly and feel small amounts of pain for a long time instead of large amounts of pain all at once. So a long suffering. You were probably then long a long suffering <laughs> alcoholic before you got sober. Yeah. About 
eight years, seven or eight years. You drank for seven or eight years. And that yeah. was a significant portion of your life. At you're that point, young. it was about <laughs> half of my life, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So how old were you when you got sober? Um, I was 17. I just turned 17. So like seven, I turned 17 in October, and I got sober when I was, I got sober the first time in November, and then I got sober again in December. So about 17. Cool. Sounds like you didn't just get in didn't have traction on that first getting sober. Um, I think I qualify the first time I got sober as to like the first time I went to like a meeting or first time I went to like the treatment place that I went to, like the inpatient or outpatient program I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I, sh- I like went and I knew that it was a good idea and I needed to be sober and this was a good idea. This was a good thing that I should do after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was a good thing I should do after I spend a weekend with my family. Um, that I so I, I guess you could call that a relapse. I think I had I got like two days sober, based. I mean, strictly on circumstance of I didn't have any way to get home, and I wasn't the type of person to go steal cough syrup from the grocery store or the gas station. So I essentially didn't have a way of using. Then I went home and me and my sister used together. So ah, uh, did she, she could buy? She was old enough to get it. Um. We were using something that no one can buy, technically. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. Um, <laughs> Very cryptic, but I think I get the yeah. picture. So, yeah, and then that was like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And then we went to, I went to Washington, D.C. for Thanksgiving and smoked weed the whole time. Mm-hmm. And probably got drunk. So drugs are definitely part of your story, too. Um, I would say a major part, yeah. Yeah. But you go to AA meetings. I do. Yeah, I don't. I I see the value in a lot of twelve step programs, but for me, I think that I can relate the most to people in AA meetings. So, what was going on with you inside that enabled you to go start going to AA and get sober? Um, so it's kind of a short story, I guess. I was going to say a long story, but I don't have time for a long story, so it's going to be a short story. Um, <laughs> This is a long-form podcast. An hour is considered long-form, so... Oh, okay. Okay. So, make it make it long. Okay, okay yeah, I've got... Okay, I'll make it long. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, the perfect place to start, because I probably shouldn't start when I was 12, but... No, what was going on at the very end of your drinking? Yeah, so I guess what happened was I had always been using, and I got... I had always been smoking weed and drinking whenever I could. And smoking weed usually before school every day when I was in 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade. Um, and I'd always gone to private schools. And I'd been asked not to come back to one private school, so I went to another one. And then when I was a sophomore, I went to um, the public school in my district. And that was the like beginning of the end, I guess. Because although everyone associates, like everyone, I remember I tell people I went to a private school, they say, oh, those are the good drugs are. Um, but those aren't where the good drugs are when you're in seventh grade and eighth grade. Like wow. that's where no drugs are. So I went to a public school and I'd always had this, like, I need to find a new group of people to fit in. with Cause every time I'd meet people at one school, I'd get kicked out or asked not to come back. But anyways, so I went to public school and within the first, first three months I was, I had found some people who I knew like smoked weed and drank and that was like kind of the extent of my knowledge at that point. And I was the one I was totally one of those like 
I'm a badass, but like I don't do pills. Like that's how you die, and like that's how you get like addicted to things. And like smoking weed and drinking's okay. And you have some lines you yeah. didn't want to cross. Yeah, like lines like, well, I've seen all these other people. Things have happened to them, and smoking weed's natural, and it's like from the earth, and like total hippie. Like I was a hippie when it fit my needs, I guess. Um, so I ended up meeting people and then one day I was at school and these people were like, yeah, let's go smoke weed in the parking lot. I was like, okay. And I don't remember the first time I took like painkillers. I know it was probably at school around that time. And the first week I was at school, this guy invited me to a party at his house and I'd never been to a party before, like ever. Cause like all my friends were, it was like, we would just go to each other's houses and get fucked up. It was never like a party. And I was like, ooh, like, that sounds fun. Like, I'm, like, picturing, like, Project X, like, the, like TV, like, crazy shit. And that's kind of what it was. Um, <laughs> and made friends. All my friends were doing pills. Like, that night, like, I saw a dude. He paid someone to, like, dislocate his shoulder so he could go to the doctor and get painkillers. Wow. And he would that's serious. give them some of the painkillers to whoever did it. So I think someone used, like, a baseball bat or, like, a... Um, crowbar and hit this dude that is crazy in the shoulder like in the sternum or something that is some serious insanity yeah and i had never and this is like the first time i've ever hung out with these people i was like this is so awesome like and how old were you 14 or 15 maybe wow. okay maybe 16 so anyways that started my like at that point i was like okay these people are cool um and it was definitely not people that i socioeconomically belonged with like hanging out with and that's when you started getting introduced to the stuff. Yeah, that's when I started. Yeah, that's when I started getting introduced to pills like um, Percocet and Xanax were like kind of the two major downfall. And so started skipping school, stopped going to school all the time. Um, I don't remember. There's a solid like month and a half that I just don't remember at all because that's what Xanax does: is it wipes out your memory and makes you black out. And I was also drinking a lot, like before school every day drinking getting to school, buying drugs from people at school, then using drugs at school, then leaving school. For a while, school was like a, just kind of a place to go to get drugs so that then I could go somewhere else and do the drugs. Um, but it sounds like you're having fun. You're looking up to these yeah, people. Yeah, so like at this point, everything is like awesome. Like I don't think, I heard someone speaking last night in a meeting about how like when you're in oblivion, nothing can go wrong. Like you don't really know mm -hmm. you're yeah, in oblivion. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of resonated with I me. See. I started thinking about like, I think I knew things were wrong, but every time something bad would happen, I would just think to myself, well, it can't get any worse. Um, <laughs> I was, like, totally okay with my life going to shit because I was, like, every time I'd be like, well, like, what's, what else could happen? And you don't have anybody breaking your sternum yet. No, not yet, but it did cross my mind later. Like, later on, I did remember that, and I was like, I could break my leg or, like, break my foot and get painkillers, but... I just knew people who sold painkillers, so I had to do that. <laughs> um, I did the it easier, up, softer uh, way. Yeah. So that was that. that Quite was a bit softer. Then I went back to school, and I want to say within the first month of school, I was in AL, uh, ALC, um, which is, if you know what in-school suspension is, it's in-school suspension for 45 to 90 days. They so a long-term type of thing. Yeah, it was like... I got caught. I had been stealing um, graphing calculators from people out of their backpacks, out of... Reselling them? 
Yeah, I had a bookstore. There was a place that would like kind of like an Edward McKay or like a bookstore that would buy it, but they didn't ask. I wasn't old enough to pawn anything. You have to be 18 to pawn things. So I had to go in there and they would give me $65 for a calculator, $85, $100, depending on if it had like a name on it. Like if it had someone else's name on it, they'd give me like 50 bucks. Never checked my ID, never asked for anything. So that was totally awesome for me. Like I would, I would ask someone in class, like, can I borrow your calculator? And then like leave. But like whenever I was packing up, just kind of like leave. And then no one would ever say anything. And I always thought that I was like the smartest person in my group but I would like tell people what I did. Cause I was like, I, can you believe I got away with this? Um, <laughs> turns out that's a good way not to get away with things. And at this point I was also kind of like distributing drugs at school. So I had a bunch of cigarettes with um, codeine on them the day that I got called into the office. And I remember I went up and sat in the office and each one of those I think would have been a felony if I had gotten caught with them. So I went up to the office, my, my assistant principal, who I'd been very well acquainted with at this point, I went up there and the police officer, like the SRO, the student, school resource, the school resource officer was up there and they like sat me down and they were like, so the whole time I'm walking up there, I'm like, I don't know what this is about. Like, I swear, I don't know what you're, what I, you must have me confused with someone else. And he was like, no, like, I know you by first and last name and I like, know your parents. Like, no. Like, this is after a year of being there, so. Um, and he was like, so we heard, like, you've been stealing calculators. Like, we know that you've been doing this. And I, like, was so relieved that it wasn't the codeine cigarettes that they had gotten me for. Because I was like, oh, okay, that's all? Okay, so got caught for that, went to AL, went to ISS for 45 days, got out after 20 days because I was, like, just, like, I mean, I was a good person. I was, like, a nice, respectable young man. And at that point, my mom was like, people don't steal things to get high who aren't drug addicts. And I was like, yes, they do, because I'm right here, and I'm not a drug addict, and I steal things to get high. Um, <laughs> so she was like, she made me go see a therapist. And I think at some point within the week when she was trying to schedule me an appointment with a therapist, I wasn't able to get drunk or get use anything. And I had a total mental breakdown, like crying, screaming, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't live like this. Like... I don't, like, I need to talk to someone, like, total, like, cry for help, like. Your so medicine quit working. All your medicine was, so you oh, couldn't no, take I just, it. I couldn't take it. So all your yeah. medicine was removed from you for a week, and right. you melted down. Right, no, um, for a day. You melted down for a day, or it was removed for a day? It was removed for a day. So after, I had gotcha. gotten high all day. So, so within 24 hours. The prospect wow. of getting high the rest of the day. At this point, I had a family member dispensing drugs to me, um, marijuana to me. So I always, I was so used to always having it. Like, even if I couldn't get alcohol, I couldn't get pills. I always had weed. Like I always was good on that. And, and you've been using that since? Since 10? I was like 10 or 11. Yeah. And went to a therapist and thought that the therapist couldn't tell my, I was like, well, what's the worst case that happens? He can't tell them anything. And then it turns out that a family therapist, there's no, there's not any um, confidentiality. confidentiality because you're, a, that was a minor. So he couldn't tell my parents exactly what I was doing, but he told them what I had told him I was doing and that I was probably going to die, in his opinion. So Sounds like it. Yeah, and this so like a week before this, I ended up, I was sitting in this dude's car and snorting heroin. Like, yeah, eventually I went to see a therapist, not really by my own choice, because the next day after that mental breakdown, I was like, hi again, and I was like, I'm totally fine. I don't know what you're talking about. I just had a bad day. 
Um, <laughs> so when did that turn for you that it was a problem? Um, I was in, so I had been in treatment for two weeks maybe. And I was in an outpatient treatment. I went and I got high again. Um, I kind of was under the impression of like, I'll get this done. Like people will be off my back. I'll be able to like, do what I want. My parents will start giving me money again. Like this was going to be like hooked up. And I remember sitting there after I had relapsed, like the next day or two days later, I didn't tell anybody that I got high for a month because I thought having 30 days meant I was like something, meant something like that I was, that I was cured or that people would mm -hmm. think better of me. Yeah. And I sat there and I was listening to other people in the room share and I was like, okay, well, like I've listened to you talk enough to know that you're definitely an alcoholic and you definitely, you definitely have a problem and you definitely have a problem. And this other guy over here is like fucking crazy and he definitely has a problem. And one day, like, people were sharing, and I was like, okay, well, like, wait a minute. Like, this all makes sense to me. Like, I think that way. Like, I don't see anything wrong with what you just said. Like, the things that you're talking about that are, like, um, at this point, I didn't know it was insanities or, like, an insane thought. I was like, that's totally normal. Like, okay. And that's when I kind of, like, gears started moving in my head, and I went on a lunch break and came back, and someone else was sharing again. And I was like, all right, like, fuck. Like, um, I was so, genuinely angry. So you started relating to what the people you were labeling as alcoholics and addicts yeah. and insane. Yeah. You started relating to their thinking, and then it was like, oh, fuck, I am insane. Yeah, exactly. And gotcha. I was genuinely angry about it. Like, I was pissed. I felt like I'd been tricked. Like, I also felt like, at this point, like, now I have to do this. Yeah. Because um, I recognized that the people who were there, I was like, well, you people absolutely need help. Like, you guys need help. And then... Realizing that, like, I was the one who needed help, like, really, it was, a, like, a, a rough day. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things, too, though, that, that I mean, I, in further in recovery, time in recovery, I've, I've found that I see in other people the things I'm going to be working on in me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you just described that yourself. You saw yeah. in other people their fucked up -edness, and then you realized, oh, shit, I've got it. Yeah. And I think another thing that I realized also when I was an outpatient was something similar is like the things that I hate about other people are the things that I do. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There is um, that. Yeah. Like the things that really bother me that other people do are usually things that when I go talk to my sponsor or a trusted friend that they're like, well, you do that shit all the time. <laughs> it's different when I do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don, you seem to have a knowing when somebody sound whenever you said when you acknowledge that thing yeah. about what other people do that pisses you off you realize that you do it well <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a nervous laugh there there's a nervous <laughs> laugh there it's true it's uh, that uh, i can't think of an example right now there, oh don't there's worry a, we'll take care of that yeah. there is, you'll point something out i guess <laughs> So 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 you related you yeah, and I realized that it uh, you needed to do something yeah and at that point I was like kind of I was really like tired of living the way that I was living and I didn't really tell anybody that and I don't think I did tell anybody that but I think that was the point when I was like all right like this my life can't get any worse like that was like the last one of those where uh -huh. I was like all right well like shit can't go any more wrong than it already is. I think I knew that like the things I do I was doing were not gonna get me anywhere or like weren't gonna pay off long term, and I just couldn't stop doing it because I always had this delusion. I never tried. I hear people talk about like I tried to stop or like I couldn't. I tried to stop and I couldn't after three days. Um, 
I think for me it was like I always thought that I wanted to. Does that make sense? Thought that you wanted to and recognized it as maybe a little bit out of hand, but yeah. but I've got this under control. Yeah, well, that, even, I mean I did that for years. Yeah. The and wheels not, haven't fallen off yet. Yeah, know? and not even in a control thing. It was like this is a bad idea, but I want to do it. So I'm gonna yeah. do it. It wasn't like this like I can't stop myself. It was like well, that's what it was. I just told myself, like, I want to do this. So did you get to a point, so that la you said that was the last time that you said to yourself, this is the worst it can get. What 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 worse can happen? Last time I really, yeah. Did, did you that get your at that point that it always gets worse? It can always get worse? Yeah, because I proceeded to make it worse for, like, two years in recovery. Oh, I okay. did several. I've done a lot of things that have significantly, I mean... And I learned also that just because my outside life is shitty doesn't mean that my inside life has to be like my like mental life has to be shitty. Okay. Um, and vice versa, that just because my mental life is shitty doesn't mean that my outside life looks shitty. Yeah, I mean I I knew that I needed to do something. I just wasn't at that point I knew I needed to do something and I wasn't I was willing to do the bare minimum of what I needed to do. I got a sponsor, I went through the steps. Did you start going to meetings outside of treatment? No. No. So this this treatment program, they didn't it wasn't really suggested. It was a it wasn't. It, it wasn't was, a twelve step based. It was yeah. twelve steps, but they had a slightly different twelve steps. But it was essentially we used the big book to go through AA. It was more of a, a cult. Uh -huh. Really. It really I say that jokingly and um but I think it kinda was. Okay, but so you weren't completely at the bottom yet. No, yeah, I could still, like, my, externally I was ready to stop using, but I was not done being miserable, I guess was the best way to say it. Gotcha. So you got to a point where you stopped using, stopped drinking yeah. and stopped using, mm -hmm. but you were basically dry and, and it's sobriety as it's sometimes called in yeah. AA, you were still just a, a, a turmoil inside. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I have... Were you trying to control your drug and alcohol use? No, like I did, I, was, I did years of controlled drinking where I was like, didn't want to be an alcoholic. So I'll prove I'm not an alcoholic by only having three beers a night mm -hmm. and uh, only on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, <laughs> Monday. Tuesday. And then, oh, but it went to five beers. Oh, but, and well, I've already, I've already started. We know the story. Started. Yeah. yeah I, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done that. I did that before I got sober. It's strictly as a, as like a, I would get a certain amount of drugs every day. And it was like, I need to make this last today. Because what happened is inevitably it'd be, if it was a Saturday or summer where I didn't have school and I had no, I lived at Friar around the country. So I didn't have a way, I didn't have a car. My parents were smart enough not to give me a car. Um, but so it was like, it was like, I need to like take this drugs and hide it somewhere, or put it away from myself. I need to ration my and drugs. And then like I would have these little like those sure. little pill containers, and I would have like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But that would be like for, <laughs> that would be like for the day. Uh, it was like it was like I'll take this at this point. Two o'clock. Wait two hours. Two o'clock. <laughs> I used to be. It used to be economical. I got my paycheck on Friday, so to be economical. I would go to the grocery store and buy two cases of beer, which would be portioned out over the coming week. Because it's Never. much, no. it's a better Never. price by the case. Right? It was a great price. Yeah. And it was gone on Saturday morning. <laughs> yep. and, 
and I believed it was going to happen every, every week. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because the intention was always it was the spot intention on, right? Yeah. Always, yeah. I'll just take a little bit. I'll just have one, like for in your example, like it's like I'll just have one more of these beers out of this case. Well, I already opened the second case, right. so I'll just <laughs> finish it. Might as well finish. There, there's yeah. only twenty three left now. Okay, so I'm so, I'm wanting to get in your story where you are. You're so now you're not drinking and you're not using, but you're still miserable. But you're still, still miserable. I'm still not happy, and I'm not. I think I'm getting happier. I think my life is, I think the, I think it's like the, what they call like pink cloud of like that first like 30, 90 days where mm-hmm. everything is like a different color and everything looks awesome. And Are you going to relapse again? Um, no, that was the last no, one. You no, never no, used no. again. Okay. Well, I did. I broke my arm and took painkillers, but I don't count that as a relapse. Mm-hmm. Well, if it didn't, drugs, if, yeah. if it didn't, it didn't take relapse. over your life, you no. didn't like Break it on purpose, right? <laughs> no, no. It was an accident. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I was worried. For We're not second. handing out chips at this yeah. thing. Wilson. <laughs> um, no, it was absolutely an accident. Yeah, so everything, like, things were getting better, but not really. Like, things just, like, weren't as shitty, I guess you could say. Like okay, so you're you're are you now going to meetings and have I'm going to the meetings at my treatment facility. At the treatment. There's two in, two meetings yeah. a week, and then we would have um, like events every weekend, Friday and Saturday night, where it's a bunch of young people. And yeah. you were hanging out with these people. A lot yeah, I was like in recover in recovery. So what changed for you inside? What was what happened? I think what happened was I realized like I, a I have a problem. I can't do drugs anymore, but. And then the the wall was at I can't do drugs anymore, but that doesn't mean I have to stop being a lying, manipulative like sack of shit. Like I can still steal things and do things as long as no one knows about it, or as long as I don't like. I was not big on sharing my thoughts with people, which right. was which was I think very it was promoted highly that I should call my sponsor every day and I should probably call like a couple other people every day. But um, you weren't doing that. I mean, I would be around people, so I would talk to people, and I had like a but you were bullshit safety net, and I would tell them what I needed. What I, I, I would assess what amount of information was needed for me <laughs> to maintain an A an image and B to like actually stay sober. So I got once, that. Once I got again, that. Uh, an alcoholic and an addict is a master manipulator. Yeah, yeah. but uh, one of the sayings that I like in AA is, "You can't bullshit a bullshitter," right. and. <laughs> It's and true. that's one of the things that when I came into AA that was impressive to me was that they had my number. Mm-hmm. We got you. We know what's going they on. They could tell what was, they could tell what was really going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that people were talking about my internal secret thinking out loud. <laughs> but the crazy thing In about meetings. it was they were talking about their thinking. Yeah. And their thinking. And it would but be it was mine, mine which is what ideas. you described. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Or my shame. People would talk outright about shame in a mm-hmm. meeting. Things that, you know, I was ashamed that I had done. And somebody's like talking about, well, uh, I remember when I did such and such and uh, I made amends for it. And my life is around going, what? <laughs> you did that too? <laughs> yeah. You can't so, talk about that. But one, one of the these people in Anything. Oh gosh, yeah, and we will laugh at it. <gasps> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of the other things I think is 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 remarkable is that you know, so here you are, you're no longer using drugs and alcohol, 
and you're 17, 18 years old at that point. At this point, yeah. So you're full on teenager, and we all yeah. know that teenagers are pretty much assholes anyway, and do a bunch of stupid shit. Exactly, and you're doing this stuff sober, and you haven't had any reason not to act differently up until now. Not to act differently. Not to steal. Not to. Right. Yeah. You know you. you this is how you've lived. It's how you've survived. It's how you took care of making sure you had what you needed. Right. And I think, so part of it, part of the reason I gained some principles, whether that was like how to properly address a woman, which is like not calling girls bitches all the time, right. to, to their faces at least, was the start. Um, <laughs> Good start. And like not stealing things and not getting caught lying. Um, oh, how about not lying? Well, so yeah, but like I learned like, not getting caught lying. It was a hedge. A there. Yeah. A little, like, a little reservation. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason that I developed some of those characteristics, like those abilities to like not steal, not to like kind of like be a sh piece of shit as much anymore, was I realized I had people around me who would like give me shit for it and right. would like call me out. And I didn't like that feeling at all. Oh, yeah. Like I did not. I've always just wanted to fit in and I've always wanted to like be doing like what everyone else is doing and like when everyone else is like living by these like spiritual principles to an extent like I want to be able to do that and I want to do that because and also it was seeing the people around me were happy and they looked happy and like it wasn't like the kind of like full of shit happy that I was it was like you guys seem like genuinely happy and like you're not embarrassed to sing karaoke like you're not embarrassed to like make an idiot of yourself in front of people. Like, how do you not care? Or like, I mean, that's still an issue for me. Um, that, that quote unquote wearing life like a loose garment yeah, type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like I was like, totally. you look like a fucking idiot. And then I was like, well, you don't care. Like right. that's it's living which, without fear, living yeah. without having fun and just being joyful and in the moment. And yeah, that was, a, that's a big thing. And that's something I still work on. Yeah. Exactly, and that was something that I really wanted to be able to do. And eventually I was able to do that around certain groups of people. Yeah, recovery, continued recovery will give you that. I, I wanted to, well, my wife wanted to dance. Contra dancing, mm -hmm. which is like square dancing. It's against dancing, right? Yeah. Contra. yeah. It's called contra dancing, and it's a great deal of fun. We were going to go do it. I agreed to go do it, and I was scared to do it, really. I mean. I've never danced not drunk. <laughs> and I called up my sponsor uh, on the way, and he said, be careful. You might have fun. <laughs> there you go. Did you let, your house, let yourself have fun? I let myself have fun. And I said to myself, I was going out, I said a prayer. I'd been in A for a while. I said a prayer, take the fear away. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to live in a cage of fear. I mean, this dancing, what's the problem? I'm going to go do it. And it turned out I loved it. It was great. So to be free of those things, why not do things that you think are fun or try them out and see if they're fun rather than prejudge them and say, because that's not what cool. If, what if people see you? <laughs> what will they think and they, of you? What will like, and and that was a point and laugh. Yeah, or no, or they won't. And then you'll have to speculate whether they're pointing and laughing in their heads, and then you just won't know. Because I got to do it and go to sleep. Yeah, because yeah. I'm going to think, I'm going to figure out what you're thinking about me. Right. I know better than you do what you're thinking about right. me. And that was a big thing I learned in early recovery, too, is like, 
the reason I'm so, so um, well, A, I'm self-centered, but the reason I'm so self-conscious about things is because I judge everyone around me for everything they do. And it's very hard not to do the things that I judge other people for doing. And I assume that they're going to do the same. Like they're going to judge me if I misspeak or if I wear fun, wear a funny shirt or like I see. do something that's not totally normal and not the norm. I don't know anybody like that, Wilson. You're entirely unique. Although you, <laughs> although I would point out that at the moment you're wearing a, a shirt with a giraffe on it, and um, but it's a cute giraffe. It's, it's so a cute unique. giraffe. It's like but, a little patch. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. It's really big on the back of your shirt, and it has a very long neck and a little squat little body that looks <laughs> stupid. It's like <laughs> it could almost but, be a turtle body. I like it. I thought it was really cute. <laughs> I like it a lot too. I'm only But the good kidding. thing is I don't have to go care if you like it. And you <laughs> don't yeah, you don't care. So you're willing to wear a giraffe shirt. Stupid giraffe shirt. Stupid yeah. giraffe shirt. <laughs> so it's freedom. Freedom. Well, you know, so when you were talking about that judging people and, and think that they're judging you and all that kind of stuff, I was it, it brought about in me that you know, I do catch when people misspeak. Uh, or use the wrong word, or, or, or have an awkward moment, or whatever. And what I find is that I'm totally forgiving when other people do that. Absolutely. I'm yeah, more sympathetic too. to it now. Well, me absolutely too. that, but I, I, I've never been one that's like, you use that word wrongly. You're stupid and you should burn in hell. That was never a thing for me. Now, maybe it was for you from the look on your face. But, <laughs> but it's one of those things that if I used the wrong word... Yeah. I would feel I'm stupid and I should burn in hell exactly. was totally where I was. Right. Or mess up. Uh, I remember I would be really uh, anxious about reading the steps if I were to mess up and say one of the words wrong when reading the <laughs> steps. I mean, who cares? No one's paying attention to those steps. What an order. Them. I can't go through with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what it really is, is being so self-conscious, so self-centered is really yeah, yeah, yeah. self-absorbed and the longer we're sober the more i'm able to get out of that at, to at yeah. times yeah, frequently. It, it changes and and i was talking with someone about this recently um, a fellow who is uh who's starting over and you know one of the biggest things that that i have noticed in me in my journey in these in, in recovery is you know, I hold myself to a standard that I would hold no one else to. Right. And that has diminished with time. Eased up. That I, 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 you know, I, I will, would never beat up somebody for coming back from a relapse, for having relapsed and started over. And, Absolutely But I not. sure as hell beat myself up over Yes. And that's something that, that change has been really nice to see, that I'm not as mean to myself as I have been. People don't see me the way I see myself. Yeah. And I don't treat people the way I treat myself. Yeah. yeah. See, Unless I mean, it's Wilson. I've been the opposite of that. Like, I've been, it's like, it's what I talked about earlier, a little bit of like the, um, the things I see in other, that other people do that I hate or like the things that I do. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're not allowed to do that. But if I do it, it's okay. Like, you look like a fucking idiot, or, like, you, like, you use the wrong word. Like, I'm, like, like, never, like, gonna listen to anything you say again, because clearly you can't read. And then it's, like, but I, like, like, you should hear me read out loud. Like, it's painful. Well, I've heard you share about 
this aspect of yourself in meetings before and what do you what do you do with that what are you doing with that in judgment with, with the self-judgment and judgment of others what are you doing with that as far as using the tools of the program um, I think a big thing for me is, well, first it was recognizing that I have a problem with that. I mean, even like, not like just alcoholism, but like recognizing that that is a problem in my life. Um, and then it really is prayer and meditation. And whether that's a lot of the time, it's just me consciously thinking, like telling myself at the beginning of the day, like, I don't want to do that today. I don't want to be that person today. Um, and when I, when I start doing it, stopping myself and being like no like we're not doing this because this is a long sidewalk and there are a lot of people on it that i could hate right now and that could probably hate me but i'm not i i don't want to be miserable today i don't want to mm -hmm. worry about thing. this i don't want to be miserable like i want to be able to think about other things i want to be able to see people and talk to them and not be worried about what they're thinking about my shoes or my shirt or like my hair or whatever like or if they're even thinking about you at all. Yeah, well, that's funny, too, because last night I had a, one of my roommates spoke in a meeting, and um, he was telling me he was really worried before the meeting, and then my other roommate had told him, like, hey, don't worry, like, everyone in the room is still going to be thinking about themselves. It's true. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, and it's, so I, and yeah, I mean, that's, like, the biggest thing for me is reminding myself of what I'm doing and that I don't want to do it and what happens when I do do it. And then it's asking God to remove that thought process and so you've you kind of identified as a character defect mm -hmm. and that is a specific thing that you can ask god to remove right rather than a vague prayer i don't want to be insecure like yeah. it's a lot easier when i'm like i don't want to judge people that i can play that tape out of like this is what why i judge people or it's like cyclical it's like i don't know which one comes first but but when you can interrupt it but and, and that interruption it, comes yeah. from awareness yeah i think that's one of the biggest things to get it is is awareness because until i'm aware of the problem i'm i can't do anything about it i, I don't know what to do about it yeah i don't, don't even know it exists i really always hated awareness i used to tell people i sponsored yeah. like hey awareness is a bitch because <laughs> once true. you find, once someone tells you you're doing something you can't you don't have an excuse <laughs> to do it anymore that's it um and that's kind of always how i've like treated myself and like the whole like being harsh on myself is like once i know i'm doing something if i keep doing it i'm not a good person or i'm not like smart or i'm like why do i keep doing this but in truth what awareness is it's the opportunity to change your behavior yeah yeah and the good things is like with most things i don't run out of those opportunities <laughs> <laughs> if i only had 10 chances i don't know i'd probably still be doing a lot of the things that I shouldn't be. I think you're speaking about a lot of us there. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson, thanks. Thanks for being aware. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. You're making life a lot easier on us. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question from a listener. Who are you calling an old timer? You! That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sonny. I knew you were going to say Sonny. <laughs> you can post a question to us on uh, boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. We don't have any questions yet, so we're making them up. But please post a question. <laughs> please. Even the boiled owl will beg you. <laughs> Scott from More or Less PA 
I can tell that that's made up. <laughs> Asks, how do I know AA will work for me? What say you, old timer? How do I know AA will work for me? Most, I think it's from experience, looking at the experience of, of everyone else in AA. I know that it was my sponsor and friend. I knew two people that had gotten sober before I came to AA, and they, they disappeared. Okay. And the AAs got them. The a oh, they disappeared from the bar. <laughs> they disappeared from the bar. I knew them in AA. I knew that it worked, and that's how I decided that, you know, this is a place. I'm going to give it a try and see if it works. I remember, I have a friend, I'm going to tell someone else's story. <gasps> we we, uh, yes. we share our own stories, but this was pivotal to me when I heard this. It just cemented the idea to me. She said that she called up the AA hotline, and she said, I'm a mathematician. I want to know the statistics. I don't want to do this thing if it's not going to work. So what are the numbers on percentage-wise on whether AA works and how much it works and how much it doesn't work? How many people stay sober and how many people don't stay sober? And the person on the phone was brilliant. They said, well... I guess if you want to get sober, there's a 100% chance it'll work. And if you want to drink, there's a 100% chance you'll drink. There you go. And that's, that's the percentages. So it turned it back on where do I have the willingness to do what AA is asking me to do, which is horrific at first, which is to get sober somebody else's way. Mm. I didn't want to do all the stuff AA asked me to do. I I recoiled at a lot of the things that AA asked me to do, but I was so miserable in my drinking, and I was in so much pain, psychic pain, that I was willing to do anything. So I surrendered. I think that I know it's going to work because all these people in AA have done it. They're happy. Wilson talked about people laughing. This that was amazing to me. People talking about their shame and laughing. Mm -hmm. These are people who have gotten better. I thought that when I came to AA, it was going to be people who were struggling and sitting around tables and going, I think I'm going to drink. I, I just feel like I'm going to drink. Don't do it! Don't do it! Whatever you do, don't drink! Well, it's not like that. It's not like any of the circles of hell. <laughs> it's not like the circles of hell. People are clean. They're, they're bathed. <laughs> for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> the people who have been sober for a while tend to be cleaned up pretty nicely. Thank you, old timer. <clears throat> sure, sonny. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I think... That, and you're describing it there, and I, I love how a friend puts it. Um, when I came into these rooms, I thought I was going to get a consolation life. I thought I was getting the consolation prize, and it's going to be kind of like this little sad-ass, not okay good. life. You know, I'm never going to have any fun, but, you know, I'm not going to be as miserable as I was drinking and all that. No, my life is awesome. Now, yeah, I've got times that it absolutely sucks, but the cool thing is, is that sober... I can handle those times when it sucks really well. I can get through them. I've got friends I can call them for help. And 
consistently moving through the suck of those times that really suck, what's on the other side is good stuff. When I came in here, um, I didn't know if AA was going to work for me. But what I knew was I could not drink anymore mm -hmm. because my life was going to shit. It was going so far to shit that I was willing to kill myself rather than see it go that far. And I tried. And then I, and I, I obviously did not succeed. And so I, I came back to AA. And in here, I found people that I believed that y'all were serious. It had worked for you. And there was just that little sliver of hope that, all right, it, it, it could work. But the other thing, and this is the thing that I love, it's, it's, the, um, it's the secret of, of AA. Of Ooh, I want recovery. to know the secret. You want to know the secret? I have to be willing, willing to change everything. The secret is everything doesn't change. I just don't get to choose what changes, yeah. which is why I have to be willing for any of it to change. My life is not completely different from what it was when I came into these rooms. I still live here. I still have the family that I have. I still, I, I worked at the same place for years after getting sober. Um, I still lived with my partner at the time. I, you know, a lot of my life was the same, but a lot of my life changed. I didn't drink anymore. I didn't hang out at bars anymore. I had a different set of friends. I actually was able to get up in the morning and mow the yard or clean the house or go visit my grandmother or Clorox the whole freaking front porch. Uh, <laughs> like I did over the weekend. Um, and that was, you know, I, I didn't get to choose what changed. Or actually, I could have. If I had chosen what changed, though, I would have been doing it my way. And I don't think it would have worked. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I, as you said, I've got to do this someone else's way. And my willingness to do it someone else's way means that I'm willing to change everything. Yeah, yeah. What you got? I didn't know. I think if you knew it was going to work for you, like, that's no fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like so it's an adventure. Yeah, well, like, if everyone would be sober if they knew it was going to work for them. Like, no one would go back out. No one would, like, you know what I mean? Like, if I came to one meeting and I was like, yeah, those steps totally make sense. That's what's gonna. That's what'll do it. Like I think most people come in and they're like, "What the fuck is that? Like, how is that gonna help me? Like, are y'all kidding me?" That's so that was my reaction. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think I didn't know it was gonna work until it worked. It's like saying, "Like, how do I know my car is gonna start?" Well, it's a fifty-fifty. Well, we're not even gonna do that right now. <laughs> but you got to start the car to know. Like, the only way to know if your car's going to start is it, to you start it. you got to give it a try. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can't do it. You can't not do it and say it didn't work. Like, if I walk right. out to my car and then come back inside and say, oh, it didn't start. Like, well, yeah, it's because you didn't, like, do any of the shit you need to to start it. That's it. Mm -hmm. That is a perfect way to yeah. pretty much know my car's going to start most days, though. You know, it's, it, it's really one of those things... If, if you're going to give AA a shot, then you need to do it. It's not this half-assed thing. 
Half measures avail does nothing. Yeah, that's a line from the big book, it and is. it's true. So, I mean, I like what you said, willingness. It's, it is having complete willingness, give it a try. It's worked for all these other people, and I'm going to try to get sober somebody else's way. And if you feel like that there's something else that's going to work that you can do to be able to drink successfully, go do it. It's true. Go we do not a have a monopoly on recovery either. No, there no. are many other ways to get sober out there no. as well. I mean, we talk about it in the intro. Um, no. AA is the one that works for me, and it's the one that I'm sticking with. Yeah. And I think that's probably the case for you guys, but I ain't going to say it is. For now, until it stops working. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it will keep working as long as you keep yeah, exactly. doing the whole program. I mean, that's been my experience and watching other people in sobriety. But I also know people who are not in AA and are quite probably alcoholics that are getting sober other ways. Yep. And that works for them. This works for me. Yeah. And, and I love it. My life is fun. Yeah. And where it used to be, in fact, I, had, I thought when I was got sober, it was going to be one long gray day from now on. <laughs> It's turned out to be a roller coaster ride, but boy, there's a lot of fun and there's a lot of creativity and and life. There's love and and all kinds of things that I couldn't fully participate in until I got sober. I had a lot of lists about these types of things that that I'm doing today that make my life full. Back when I was drinking, I had lists of stuff that I was going to do Mm -hmm. to have that big full life. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really start doing them until I got sober. It's amazing what you what you can actually do when you've got sobriety. I mean, it's it works. Yep. Wilson, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having the me. Boiled Out Coffee Club. Thanks, Wilson. Oh, you're welcome. Next time you come by, I'm going to have a deviled owl egg. <laughs> I can't say it with jelly beans. Devil, right? With a jelly bean on jelly top. bean on top. A black jelly bean. <laughs> That owl sounded a little weird. Is it tipsy? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the site. Or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit AA.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Quit making all that racket.